the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial sitting in for CFP Chad Burton's new focus on wealth. My job is to sit in for him from time to time and kind of bring some of the same ideas that he has, but maybe a little bit before the fact. I'm a wealth creator. He's a wealth preserver. Eh, It's a little too simple to say it like that, but you get the idea. One of the things I'm going to do this hour is try to show you some areas that I think the market should be paying attention to. Markets are tied, obviously, to you and your wealth, probably through your 401k or your 403b, which I consider to be the two best vehicles for saving for retirement for the average American. I don't, oddly enough, consider Robin Hood just barely missed that cut, right? Or am I being silly? You get the idea. Everything's about to get more expensive is a headline that I saw yesterday. And I'll give you one small play on that. I was recently at a restaurant that they had a sign out front, not out front by the cashier that said, sorry, but we've had to temporarily raise prices on all items on the menu by 10% due to the pandemic. Thank you for understanding. That's pretty big inflation on a year over year level. If it sticks, if it doesn't stick, I don't know. But that suddenly turns a $20 half pound brisket into a $22 half pound brisket. And 20 was already like stretching it for some people. I'm not being judgy. I'm not being cheap. 10% food inflation is a lot on a one year basis. It's something we can't keep up with. About two in the morning this morning, a couple hours ago, I was reading how Australia is having problems with, not problems, they don't have, they're letting more female cows die, which means their herd for the future will be a lot thinner, which says supply will be down. I've already seen food prices go higher myself. I'm now seeing an analyst telling me everything's going to get more expensive and I'm seeing Australia undercount or underutilize their females. I think in the whole world of cattle and how many you send to the the meat factory, if you send 47% of them are male, that's like, ooh, prices are going to be lower. But if you send 44% they're going to be male, that's just, they're all going to, they're not going to all die. (laughs) Well, they're all going to die. I think that's right to say, but in this case, they wouldn't be making as many babies because they're dead. I know, I know it's dark and absurd, but... That's a demand issue or is it a supply issue? That's a supply issue. We're going to have too short of supply. So expect meat prices to go higher. Now, again, Australia probably is supplying the meat into Asia. So not necessarily our problem, or is it? 
Well, maybe it will be because Asia might start getting some of our meat products. And again, it's all about inflation. The U.S. economy is headed for a rebound, but it makes everything more expensive in America. Is that the kind of rebound that you want? Let me give you some more thoughts on that. Experts are growing increasingly hopeful the U.S. economy recovers. That's a good thing, right? We've got $2 trillion of stimulus getting ready to be approved right now, $1.9 trillion, But what's another $100 billion between you and me? There was a stimulus package in December. There was a stimulus package last year. This is our fourth big round of stimulus. And down the road, Biden's going to want to get to, quote unquote, his agenda and not necessarily the pandemic stimulus agenda. So a lot of people are concerned that inflation's going to rear its head. History indicates that the United States will not see an overheated economy even after Biden's massive stimulus. But we're, we're counting on some to moderate inflation. If pent-up demand emerges, prices could rise above their pre-pandemic levels, though. This may not be friendly news for you or me, because ultimately, if that brisket costs 10% more, that's that meat sandwich, that means I've got 10% less in my pocket to say, I want to go on vacation, or I want to put into retirement, or maybe I should pay down some credit card bill. It's like gasoline in the industry. One of the things I talk about with gasoline prices is it, it acts like a tax on Americans. We, and again, pre-pandemic, pandemic, post-pandemic, we have to get from point A to point B. I'm doing a lot less driving. Thus, I'm doing a lot less gas consumption. But when the day comes, I expect it to be back to normal. And that that won't be pent up. It'll be just getting back to normal, right? But if gas is at $3 a gallon because no one's driving in California, and then it goes back up to $4 and a quarter because everyone's back post-pandemic driving, I'm still only going from point A to point B. It's not magically getting better or faster. Well, I don't know about that. But the essentials, like a home, we see inflating in price 10% year over year. Food, we've, uh, let me explain that. I forget that I'm not doing my show, I'm doing Chad's show. The Case Shiller Real Estate Report that came out in uh, late February painted the picture of a 10% year over year gain in home prices. Now, most of Americans, not most, but a large chunk of Americans took pay cuts. Don't get Gavin Newsom started on pay cuts in California. Um, voluntarily took pay cuts because of state deficits. A lot of a lot of Americans took pay cuts. Sometimes it was their boss saying, sorry, I got to cut your hours. Sometimes it was, I got to cut your salary. Next year, a lot of bosses are going to say, well, since you're working from home, we typically would pay you X, but now we're going to pay you X minus 10% because you don't have to commute. commute. And you're like, I'll commute, I'll commute. And then you're spending 10% on gasoline prices, right? So I'm expecting some inflation, and that's why the 10-year Treasury has started. That's not why it's starting to move, but it's starting to move. And that's been the story of 2021, in my opinion. We're having a great start of the year, January and February. But to me, the problem is, is that 10-year Treasury said, okay, last year was easier because the cost of money was 
was 1% lower than it is today. And every 1% higher, half percent higher, it's going to be tougher and tougher because the past will make it look easier with a low cost of money on, you can stretch valuations when there's low cost of money. You can kind of say, I get it. But it tightens back up when there's competitive alternatives to stock returns. Someone asked me, what do I think the Dow Jones Industrial Average will be in 15 years? And I said, 100,000. I was like, Karnak. It, it just blew the person away. And I said, that's just it doing it what it historically does. It goes up 8% a year, historically, in good economies, bad economies. It averages it out. It blends it out. Do I expect it to be at 100,000 in 15 years? I do. Would I be disappointed if it was not? I would. What could slow it down in the short term? Inflation and higher interest rates. So start thinking about that sign you see at the gas station or at your restaurant that says food is 10% higher. If you're buying food at gas stations, you're in trouble. If you start seeing gas prices creep up, start looking for signs of inflation because Wall Street is pretty anal about it, in my opinion. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. You can find him online at C-H-A-D, Chad Burton, B-U-R-T-O-N.com. It's chadburton.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. I'm Rob Black, sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. One of the more interesting things I saw yesterday as far as stories that make your head go, ooh, was Petaluma, California. Say hello to the chickens. Every time I drive by Petaluma, I say hello to the chickens because there's a big chicken farm there. Um, Which doesn't smell good. But Petaluma, California, one of the, I guess you'd call it maybe 10 to 15 miles north of San Francisco. Yesterday, their city council moved, streamlined the process for building EV charging stations. California wants to be electric vehicle only in car sales in 2035, essentially. Um, that's a governor, Gavin Newsom, uh, mandate. Sometimes I get a little bit iffy on the details that I'm giving from, is it legislature or is it not? But Petaluma wants to be carbon neutral by 2030 couple things on that you're hearing more and more companies where apple says you know we want our green we want to be carbon neutral but the truth of it is is that's not going to happen it's going to require dirty in the planet to make their phones and make their computers it's going to imply you know mining and fracking and smog and chemicals and people going to work and people coming back from work but they want to offset that by setting up power and wind uh, turbines, but the pollution's still going to be there. And as the world economy advances and as we make more and more babies on this planet, pollution's still going to be a problem. It's just how do we offset it financially? And is offsetting it financially the correct way of approaching carbon neutral? I don't think so. 
It's a little bit of a tricky thing. Uh, it's not what it appears to be. So Petaluma is going to make it easier to get electric vehicle stations streamlined and approved. But they're also going to ban gasoline pumps. No more. They're, they're not going to make, allowing any more permits to build any more gasoline stations. They'll allow permits to, to build electric vehicle charging stations. And please, let's try to get, keep the charges down to like two or three different types. Tesla's going to have their own little way of doing it. Some car companies will have their own little way of doing it. But uh, it turns out that, and again, just this, is just this should be common knowledge. Charging a car is very similar to charging a phone. You should only go up to about 80, 85% and stop of its capacity, unless you're going to be going for a long drive. Just saves the battery life a little bit better. So I thought that was an interesting story yesterday. Another thing that I came across um, while doing research yesterday was Kathy Wood. And I talked a lot about Kathy Wood and how she is, I'm, I'm just going to say this in a funny kind of way, she is full on, party on, hardcore into the big winners on Wall Street. So she has a tech ETF and its top holdings account for 45% of the fund. So it's very concentrated. But every stock that she has in there is a winner. Tesla, Roku, Teladoc, Square, CRISPR Therapeutics, Invitae, Proto Labs, Baidu, Zillow, and Spotify. And every one of those, you were like, man, I wish I would have done that one. Not telling you to do that. What I'm telling you to do is you can start some research and ask yourself, why does she like this? It may help you. It may not. The U.S. economy is in a very nice position right now to recover. Vaccines and massive stimulus signal a light at the end of the pandemic tunnel. Antitrust proceedings against big tech could create some, a lot more jobs, while remote work is threatening the so-called superstar cities. Trends are super important to study on Wall Street, whether it's one of the trends that I've been following recently tied towards digitization of where could other areas be disrupted to that whole Moderna and Pfizer vaccine was a new way of coming up with antibodies for your body. mRNA, I don't know enough about the science to give it any more thought, but I've known enough about that science that they're going to try to apply what they did with vaccines into other areas of our life like Alzheimer's disease and cancer. And that's a good thing. So we have positives out there like vaccines and new stimulus. We got antitrust going against the big, the big boys, which should open up more companies. I don't know, maybe create a higher cost for some of this, but uh, there's a lot to think about there. Vaccines are rolling out and picking up speed world that reopens won't be the same one that shut down roughly a year ago. When will the American economy hit normalcy? When will we be able to put 10 million plus Americans back to work? Biden went big on stimulus to get us out of our funk and essentially to supercharge the economy. When the world comes out of lockdown, we don't want to be in last place. 
Following more than $3 trillion of stimulus already, this is going to push us up to almost $5 trillion of stimulus, which is more than what we would have spent on our as an economy in the first place. Regulatory actions announced at the end of the Trump era have the potential to reshape the tech sector over the next two decades. And I still think we're going to have, we're going to have a lot to play with this whole remote work world and how that plays out in real estate. With office workers doing their jobs from home, the era of the super city might have ended. And when I'm talking super city, San Francisco and New York, rents have fallen so dramatically in New York that people are now starting to run back to New York to snatch up low rent prices. What will that give us? Will that give us more of an artist community in New York or will it give us you know, back to the Wall Street bonus community? Gentrification, right? As wages went up and jobs got higher paying, stockbrokers and financial types moved to New York and they basically kicked the artists out slowly but surely with higher taxes. And anytime a house is for sale, instead of it being sold to an artist, it was sold to the banker at 10 to 15, 20, 25% higher. Americans are sitting on, American consumers are sitting on $1.6 trillion of pent up spending. And we've got $5 trillion of spending. It's, this is a good scenario to be a winner on Wall Street. It's maybe not the right way to grow the economy, but it is a way. Next year will be much stronger. People are expecting 2022 to be stronger than normal. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Joining me now, Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com. Mr. O'Hare, how are you today? Hey, good morning, Rob. I'm doing okay. Interesting week. <laughs> we seem to say that every week, but... uh Last week, the, the wheels had come off the NASDAQ party, and they're back on. Um, everything go, is going up. Uh, Dow hits record high. NASDAQ surges big. Tesla up 20% in one day. What a week. What a turnaround in sentiment. Is, is, is that fair to say, or is it too, too early to put that label on it for good? Um, you know, we're not even... Uh through half the week yet either and <laughs> it has been quite a week but um i do think it's probably a little too early to to put the label uh, on that sentiment has has changed permanently as it relates to the you know the make a cap grow stock uh momentum stock trade um yesterday looked very um fabricated in a sense you know uh, quite a mechanical quantitative move off of what everyone widely recognized as an official correction for the nasdaq um, and so it's kind of like you, things just sort of gelled to say, hey, this is an opportunity to come in and try and force the action. And they did. And, and they did it with tremendous success. Um, but it was a little too cute um, in, in my mind. And, um, you know, uh, obviously have to see how things unfold. But again, you know, interest rates, as we continue to talk about, Rob, remain a, a uh uh, a fulcrum for, you know, kind of how these growth stocks are going to behave, I think, and how the broader market in general is going to behave. You know, those long-term rates have settled down a little bit. 
So that was just created another opening yesterday for, you know, for some buy the dip bravado. And it really got going in stocks like Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the market's trying to make a fool out of me as soon as I, you know, make a bold statement like this is certainly sector rotation. It's almost it's almost as if the Robinhood investors were just waiting to pounce, and you're seeing just big jumps. Like the Ark Investment Fund has become a story because it's in every high flying tech stock, so it goes down ten, fifteen, twenty percent, and we're like, ah, finally you got you know there's hell to pay. But then it, it rolls right back in like two days of market action. I, I need a little slower digestion period, but I'm not going to count on it. Uh, changing well, top. If oh, I, go ahead. I was going to say, if I can interject real quick, I, I, I think it's really, you know, a, a sign of, of the times that one can expect to see more of as this year unfolds. It's certainly the first half of the year, because basically when you get, you know, such drastic moves uh, in such a short amount of time, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's symptomatic of a market that's, you know, flush with liquidity that's also hitting an intersection here of wondering, you know, whether interest rates are going to be a spoiler or whether they're going to go up gradually and then, you know, help lead to the continuation of this bull market. But, um, you know, yesterday was a telltale reminder of just how much liquidity is sloshing around out there uh, and that it doesn't take much to kind of force these, um, you know, these surgical strikes, you know, one day, two day surgical strikes where you just have some tremendous moves, but ultimately they don't last. And and I think this this roller coaster action um, is likely to be a, a part of the the fabric this year uh, as we get you know further into reopening and a lot of the good news that was already priced in with respect to that reopening actually manifests itself, which then begs the question, what now? And the answer to that question, in, in many respects, is going to lead down the road to interest rates, right? What happens with interest rates, I think, will, will help determine whether the, this roller coaster becomes a little bit more one-sided to either the upside or the downside. All very interesting stuff. We're talking about inflation now. Um, kind of losing some listeners and some viewers out there because it's not sexy, it's not fun. But last week I took, I guess you could say, some solace in the fact that David Tepper and Jerome Powell from the Federal Reserve and Janet Yellen all said interest rates should probably settle down now and, and not go parabolic. And they were right. It took about a week for us to feel that uncomfortable. Do you take solace in a David Tepper, a billionaire, when he talks on CNBC and says, eh, these interest rates should start going sideways or digest? Um, or are you more of a Jerome Powell Federal Reserve believer, or do you want to see the numbers yourself to believe them? Where do you come down in this, uh, uh, not market debate, but it kind of it settled the markets and gave me a buying signal last week, per se? Um, yeah, well, we can throw Jeffrey Gunlock into that mix as well, um, some founder of Double Line Capital um, out, of, out of, I believe, Los Angeles. And um, you know, he had a, a webcast yesterday, and he also conceded that, you know, long-term rates probably should should stabilize a little bit here, maybe come down that they, you know, got, got oversold in the short term. But but at the same time, you know, he was talking about the possibility of inflation rates hitting, you know, 3% plus, you know, as the year goes on, you know, as we cycle over some very low base effects from last year, um, you know, his forte is bonds. Right. And uh, and but but to the credit of Mr. Tepper, I mean, you, you do have to certainly um, uh, 
uh, allow for some uh, reputational um, premium there, if you will, in terms of his viewpoints. Um, but we also have to take account for the idea that, you know, um, he trades and invests, right? And, you know, we're not going to know exactly what he does or thinks probably until after he's made his own moves uh, of benefit to his investors. Um, so you do have to take some of that with a grain of salt, but but we also, you know, wrote a few weeks ago in our bond column that we thought that the move in rates uh, on the long end had, had kind of hit a roadblock, if you will. There wasn't a lot of resistance between, say, you know, 1.2% and 1.56%. Um, and and sure enough, you know, the 10-year rose right up and went through it up to 1.61%. Uh, but there is more overhead resistance now in this area between one and a half to one and three quarters. And when you have these higher nominal rates uh, combined with strength in the dollar, it does become more of, a, of an attractive outlet for foreign investors. And that's kind of the argument they're making is there's greater appeal now uh, for foreign investors to come in and buy our treasuries and kind of help contain the, the upward pace of, of long-term interest rates. But I have to say, though, that um, one must believe, notwithstanding what could happen here in the short term, that the path of least resistance for interest rates, long-term rates in particular, should be higher. Um, I mean, we're talking Q1 GDP growth north of 8%, right, is what's in, in a lot of economists' forecasts. Goldman Sachs looks for GDP growth of 6.8% for all of 2021, right? Should the 10-year note yield really be under 1.6%, you know, when you're talking 6.8% uh, GDP growth? I mean, no, <laughs> but yes. it does kind of underscore sort of the power of the Fed's invisible hand here. Now, the Fed doesn't control long the long end of the Treasury curve, but it's going to do its part and it's going to do what it can to control that long end of the curve if things start going up in a fashion that it thinks is going to get in the way of achieving its goals. And so it's a question of whether the, whether the, the Fed can, can maintain mind control over this market or whether the market's going to lose its mind over what the Fed policy is and the idea that it's not going to be successful um, here and that you might have an attack from bond vigilantes um, coming to fruition. Well, we have two or three minutes left, but I wanted to ask the question of last week I highlighted Kathy Wood and her flagship ARK Innovation ETF and how it's all Zoom, Peloton. It's all the sexy pandemic names. It's, it's the cutting edge of technology. Um, then the fund falls 20%, then it roars back 10%. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about GameStop. A couple weeks before that, we were talking about the capital insurgency. A couple weeks before that, the election and the stimulus plan will happen, won't happen. This seems to be a market that's, that's driven by stories that don't necessarily last a long time. Would you agree with that statement um, and focus just on the general markets? I don't know if there's a question there, but... We well, seem to be. It seems to be working. No matter what we say or wherever it goes, it doesn't stay there for long. It just goes higher. Go ahead. Well, you're onto something, Rob. I think because this market is always kind of looking for the next best thing, and and it's it's just this this vortex of rotation, right? Um, you know, we talked about too how money doesn't necessarily flow out of the stock market; it flows within the stock market, and it looks for the next best thing. And it can afford to do that when interest rates are still relatively low, right? And, 
you know, certainly with what's going on, you know, with ARC Innovation, I mean, it's kind of a, uh, in this moment, it sounds like it's more like a live by the sword, die by the sword type of uh, approach, because clearly they're, they're heavily invested in high growth names, high growth stocks. And, um, and their strategies may indeed prove out over, over the long term. But, you know, I think we'll understand uh, a little bit more if, you know, if the ARC funds stop publishing, you know, their daily trades, right? Um, there's, there's certainly some cachet and some appeal right now when, when they tell you what they've been buying and what they sell and you kind of see, you know, the retail herd follow there and that provides some, I don't know if artificial is the right word, but, you know, it certainly provides some added support, you know, at moments when you might think that uh, those stocks might have more room to fall. But, um, but I do agree with the general thesis that, you know, this is a market that kind of doesn't stick around uh, for long. It just goes with what's working. And when it stops working, it finds a new target to make work. And it can do that because there's so much liquidity and you still have rates that are still relatively low. Great answer. Thank you for going with an odd question, but you hit a home run as you always do. It's Patrick O'Hare. You can find him at briefing.com, a reliable source of international and domestic news, all things financial. I dig it. Again, there's growth stories in there. There's technically strong stories. There's different angles on the economy, interest rates, inflation. Just a great group of smart investors. Find them at briefing.com. That's briefing.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Apple said that they slipped this one out this morning. Trust me, it feels like... What do you mean by that? I want a little bit more information. But they reportedly cut orders for iPhones by 20% due to low demand for the iPhone 12 mini. This is good news. It sounds like bad news, but it's good news. The low-end phone isn't selling well. The high-end phone is selling very well. Bad news if you're trying to get into new markets like India, where they look at a $1,200 phone and laugh. Good news if you're in the business of telling Wall Street what your margins are. It's both good news and bad news. But I was looking at a company called Foxconn. And it's a contract manufacturer, original equipment manufacturer. So um, they're probably not enjoying the fact that Apple just said, well, we don't need that 20 million extra phones. So managers are coming back to their employees and going, oh, Henry, I know I promised you a lot of work in the spring and summer, but we're losing kind of a big order. I need you to stay at home. Foxconn in your head, you've heard of them. Um, If you study anything on semiconductors and phones, you know that phones are getting smaller and faster. And they're getting faster with more components. And they're getting smaller with with more uh, transistors and, and things printed on the semiconductors. Um, it's, it's gorgeous. The screens are getting nicer. And Foxconn's like, we can build that for you. Why did you come up with a great idea, Apple? Go get that industrial designer guy who comes up with a concept of uh, a HoloLens, something you, you augmented headband. Apple's going to have to make it look cool, but Apple doesn't want to manufacture it. Manufacturing, it's not fun. It's not sexy. You've seen reports on 60 Minutes about how the Chinese factories are turning into death towns as kids are expected to work 60-hour weeks. 
80 hour weeks are expected for the people that were only working 60. There's no money in, in manufacturing. That's why companies like Ford and GM have stagnated for so many years. There's no money in it. Um, but you get tied up into the labor cost and you get tied up into unions, which I don't know if I'm pro-union or anti-union. I know that some unions are really, really love, and some unions I'm like, eh, I don't really see the point. When I was 16 years old and working in for a grocery store as a cashier, I don't, didn't feel I needed a union. But when I looked to my right and saw a 28-year-old single mother bagging groceries, I was like, she needs a union. Um, but contract manufacturing is not sexy. And it's an industry that you would have thought would have done better than it actually has. But it's also kind of like you cheating and saying, well, I don't want to own Apple and I don't want to own Broadcom or Qualcomm, who makes the chips that go inside this. I want to own the people who are going to make it. It is part, no doubt about it, of the ecology. But it's the manufacturing part. And like I say, and Ford and GM have, have really struggled. And now they both look fantastic. They look poised to have a nice two or three years as stocks. And you've not ever heard me say that in the history of the show. Why do they look good? Because they're delivering what people want, electric vehicles, and they're charging more for them. Charge and get the pun. <laughs> and they're taking some bold challenges and, and chances with some new technologies. Um, they should be selling car insurance. They should be selling some other products like um, better audio video enhancements inside the vehicle. A lot of people think augmented reality built into a car will be a game changer. Eh, I can tell you driving a Tesla is pretty fun in the sense that it tells you when the light changes. It goes ding. Um, and at some point in time, if I could customize that so that it goes, yo, dude, the light's green. I would like that technology a little bit more to have uh, kind of a, a voice in the car telling me to go versus a ding. Ford and GM are poised to go higher because they're moving away from manufacturing. I just, I, I think my point of the segment is to bash manufacturing. Um, Nike designs great shoes. Nike, oh boy. Real Sports on HBO is probably one of my favorite TV shows that I try to find and catch up on. And they just did a piece a couple weeks ago on Nike and what an evil company it is that they get young athletes, sign them to deals. Uh, we, we have coaches that are going to train you and get you to the Olympics. Um, and then they don't care. The only thing they seem to be caring about is selling of shoes. But again, I go, who else can we work with? Adidas? Not publicly traded in the United States. Adidas. Um, every now and then you get like investments in Skechers, and you're like, eh, they don't have the volume, volume, volume that a company like Nike has. And I'm, again, I'm tying Nike into this for one last shot because in the 1980s and 90s, we saw Nike say, we make shoes, we have Michael Jordan, we could sell his shoes for $200 a pair. How do we make more money if we keep the plant open in Bend, Oregon? Uh, they're educated a lot. They want more money. They want more pensions. They, they, oh boy, they're going to unionize. Let's take it to China. 
or let's take it to Taiwan or Indonesia. Let's go where labor's cheaper because labor is part of the manufacturing costs. And that's the only way some companies can get the margins that they want to hit is look for cheap labor. That's changing a little bit. Internet and social issues being what they are, slowly changing the low cost factory world into more competitive costs for the worker. Anyhow, manufacturing is super important and it's part of any ecology, whether it be an auto industry or whether it be expensive phones. You might remember a couple years ago, Steve, not Steve Jobs, but Tim Cook and uh, Donald Trump had a big to do about Foxconn opening up a business in Michigan. It never really happened. We sink money into the project as a country and they just haven't figured out how to make phones. I'm Rob Black, and all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me on the Rob Black Show.com. Yeah.